you're doing your personal work with like knowing that when you feel that big surge of emotion, like if you can see what's underneath it, the primary emotion underneath it, I think it helps us work with anger and express it in really healthy ways. Welcome back to the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast. My name is Dave Glazer in Denver, Colorado. We are honored to be joined by Paula Santos from Longmont, Colorado, where she is practicing as an art therapist. And as the enthusiast, she brings a deep, lighthearted, and very warming conversation to the podcast today. We go deep into anger and how it can be uh, used as a positive instead of a negative. We touch on the differences between anger and assertiveness and how connection is actually safety. So myself as the challenger has a very hard time with being vulnerable. Um, Being reminded that connection is safety is always a good thing for me. So I'm pleased to bring this episode with Paula Santos to you today. Um, Leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. So if you want to be featured as the review of the week, please head on over to your favorite podcast platform, give us five-star review and leave us a written rating because that really goes a long way to helping us improve the content of the podcast and make it more specific and tailored to you. If you know somebody who would benefit from today's conversation, please share the episode with one person that you love and tag us on social media when you do share um, your big biggest takeaways from today's episode because I have a couple of pages of notes over here, and I'm super excited for you guys to listen. If you're looking for a little additional support right now, we are still hosting our Tuesday night uh, private exclusive members only group where we are diving into attachment theory right now. Uh, Last week, we just went over how the anxious attachment style needs reassurance, appreciation, and validation, and how to ask for those three things. As you may know, in my professional life, I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist operating a completely remote online coaching experience where I am guiding clients via Zoom or our online training programs to reach their goals quickly and safely from from the comfort of their own home. So if you're looking for a a little support in reaching your fitness goals while you're sheltering in place, please don't hesitate to reach out to me personally. Um, You can do that through our Instagram handle at Believe, Be Real, Be Bold, and I'll send you a link to apply for the program today. Without further delay, let's get into today's episode with Paula Santos. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Uh, We're laughing over here because I'm joined by Paula, and I'm going to allow you to finish the rest of your name. Please introduce yourself. I'm Paula Gasparini de Oliveira Santos, but here I just go by Paula Santos, a little easier for everyone. Exactly why I didn't even want to attempt it. Give it to me one more time. Paula Gasparini de Oliveira Santos. That's beautiful. What is your heritage? I uh, was born and raised in Brazil. Mm. That's why we get along. Yes, there you go. (laughs) Jiu-jitsu. That's right. Did you grow up doing jiu-jitsu or any martial art? No, none at all. I did karate actually as a kid, but not jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Was it as popular then in Brazil as it it is now? I think it's always been pretty popular since I've been in the world, but um, it wasn't something, unfortunately, that I got to try. Mm-hmm. There, it's never too late. I didn't start till I was 36. There you go. So I can, I can go. I have five more years. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, and after Brazil, did you immediately come to Colorado? Because you're in Longmont now. 
No, so I've uh, traveled and lived quite a few places. Um, first, it was Miami, Florida, and then California, Hawaii. That was where I lastly moved from, and then Longmont, Colorado at the moment. Mm-hmm. And besides Colorado, why is Colorado your favorite? Ooh, I don't know <laughs> if it is, Dave. Um, Hawaii is kind of hard to beat. Um, I do love the mountains. I love the mentality here, the lifestyle. Everything's pretty um, aligned with who I am. So I do like it a lot. Might not be the favorite, but it's up there. I mean, Hawaii is pretty amazing. I, I got the chance to go to Oahu and Kauai and uh, just kind of traipse around when I was 17, causing some trouble. Yeah, it's, it's a place that stays in the heart. So. <laughs> Well, good. Now that we've caught up and gotten to know you a little bit better, um, I'd love to understand how you got into your specific type of counseling and therapy that you do with a very specific type of person, which is probably why I gravitated to you anyways. Yes, definitely. Um, I can speak to a little bit of both. I know you and I talked last time. Um, So I do art therapy. I also do EMDR, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, which is trauma work. Um, I would say I got into counseling as a field uh, due to personal things that I underwent as a kid. Um, So just some childhood traumas, some transitions, um, using EMDR language like I talked to you last time, some disturbances that Mm -hmm. led me to become curious about the world, about psychology, about how we cope and how we heal. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've kind of known I wanted to be a therapist since I was a teenager, um, went to my undergraduate with that intention, you know, as a psychology major and art kind of came in more naturally, organically. I always was a creative kid, um, and used art back then. I didn't know art therapy was a thing, um, but I used art for myself for coping and in college, when one of my professors told me art therapy was a real field, I was just like, well, this is a natural marriage of the two passions I have in life. So it kind of just organically came into my life. Mm-hmm. And it's a no-brainer. Yes. Yeah. And the reason why I joke around about me gravitating to you is because in our conversation last week, we were talking about assertiveness versus aggression. And you find that a lot of men with aggression tendencies uh, gravitate to you in your practice. Yes, definitely. Um, I am fascinated by anger. And that has been definitely a thing that in my practice is showing up more and more. Um, A a lot of men with um, some anger issues or aggression as well, but that's just not limited to that, you know, men in general, I work with either kids or women as well with anger or self-esteem issues. But I definitely, I wrote my master's thesis on anger, um, have been fascinated by anger since young, um, just to understand, you know, anger can be so destructive. So I've been really interested in understanding how someone's capable of such great destruction. So obviously going from the spectrum of like anger to where it leads to incarceration and terrible things happening, or anger just as like, a daily thing that we battle. Um, Mm -hmm. But I love it. (laughs) Right. Right. And as I've learned more about my own anger as the Enneagram 8, which is the first emotion that we tend to go to, is that anger is a sense that our boundaries have been crossed. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that that's a great place for me to have come to a conclusion of in the healthier version of myself, uh, that assertive, um, being assertive is not an unhealthy behavior or action. Yes. Yeah. So like anger, I think too, I'd love that you're speaking to that, the assertiveness versus the anger. Um, anger can be seen as such a negative emotion, right? And we kind of shame it. We tell people to repress it or do stuff with anger as if it's not good as its own standing emotion. Um, and I think if we are using words to kind of make it a little better, assertive seems more acceptable. Um, but I would even just say anger is acceptable. It's just how we process it and what we do with it, right? It is when a boundary is crossed. It's often a secondary emotion. It often comes from a place of not feeling safe. It's um, typically used as a protective measure for self, whether that's like emotionally defending yourself or trying to just kind of create that instant safety. Like if you think about really you know, drastic uses of anger like domestic violence, um, the research shows most people have a trauma history, right? There is just a lot of pain there involved in that behavior. Um, so if you do, like you're doing your personal work with like knowing that when you feel that big surge of emotion, like if you can see what's underneath it, the primary emotion underneath it, I think it helps us work with anger and express it in really healthy ways it can become a very motivating emotion if we use mm -hmm. it correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love this reframing of the word emotion is energy in motion. Yep. And yeah. anger is very energizing. Mm -hmm. It is, definitely. It, it's invigorating, right? <laughs> it certainly lights you up from, uh, from a baseline to an elevated state very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's why it is so hard to control, right? Like it becomes a lot of work around impulse control, a lot of self-awareness, um, so that it, that charge that you feel that I think most people can, when speaking of anger, they like it's like a fire, right? Like I'm Latina, I talk about fire and personalities all the time. Like anger is a fire that can really be moving and motivating and so just like the fires we're experiencing now, right, can be so destructive and yet rejuvenating if, if it's controlled and, you know, not mm -hmm. going wild. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And as you were telling me more about your passion for working with people um, with that anger emotion that's really prevalent in their relationships and in their childhood and in their life overall, help me walk through this note that I have here that's anger is our impulse control issues and so is addiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me more about this, this framework here. Um, so I think, you know, being a trauma therapist, you see it all, right. You're, you're not dealing with like just angry clients or anything like, you know, anger can be repressed and then turned towards the self and it could be self-esteem issues. Um, Addiction is another one that comes up and is a little more on the surface, like very similar to how anger is presented, right? It's this like external thing that you can really viscerally experience. Um, addiction, I love Gabor Mate's um, a take on it. I don't know if you're familiar with his work um, in the realm of Hungry Ghosts is an amazing book for anyone interested in a great framework for addiction. Um, but I love how he speaks to um, addiction in a way that I frame anger very similarly, 
he gets curious about the pain, not the behavior, right? So when he's working with addicts, he's wondering instead of why the addiction or why the behavior, he's wondering why the pain and what is the pain. Um, because if you just take away the behavior, like addicts often get sent to rehab and sure they might have success rates that, you know, depending on where they go and what type of personal work they do, it doesn't really heal the inside part unless you're addressing that. Like why in the first place did you have to turn to numbing, right? Why do we have to turn towards anger in the first place or using a drug or a substance? Or, or like healthier addictions like social media right now, or even I would say like jujitsu can become an addiction, right? Like we no can, doubt about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can turn towards like escaping behaviors um, if we're not really dealing with the roots inside ourselves. Mm -hmm. I, I totally hear where you're coming from because um, as we were talking and getting to know each other better, you reminded me that our emotions are not our identity. Yes. And I I heard that word in there numbing. Okay, well if we believe that anger and aggression is our identity, well then we may numb it with alcohol and social media and over exercising. And when we no longer numb, we have to address that underlying pain. Mhm. Mm Absolutely. And think about like, you know, when we tell even starting as kids like you're so angry. Like we're saying you are said emotion, right? Um, and you grow up identifying with those things you get called often and you start believing these things, right? I work with so many people that they're like, I don't know, I'm not a good person. Or they have these deeply embedded narratives that they just believe these things about themselves that resulted from an emotion they felt from certain circumstances. And those emotions repeated and then they've like created this basis for this great little identity that they carried for the rest of their lives and decided that that's the truth right from themselves from others parents siblings friends and those are hard they're hard to shed um so a lot like a lot of that work also is challenging these identities and how we like can so because we experience something so strongly we can identify with it so strongly um, emotions, behaviors as well. Like you're not an addict, you have an addiction, right? You're not a, a criminal, you committed a crime. Like there's just so many things that come down to a fundamental of how we label and how people really frame. Yeah, if I were to be repeatedly told as a child, you are so angry, or even ask the question, why are you so angry? It would, it would kind of require me to become vulnerable in that moment with somebody else that uh, might have triggered my anger to keep me safe. Mm -hmm. You know, so anger keeps them safe, safer than vulnerable. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that is, that's a hard, that's a hard statement for me to lean into, mm -hmm. kind of peel back the layers on as the challenger, as the Enneagram type eight. Mm -hmm. Why is that hard? Because you rather stay safe. Without a doubt. Absolutely. And uh, that, that narrative, the limiting belief is that vulnerability is unsafe and it is scary. Mm -hmm. And that's the personal work that needs to be done in order to peel back the layers and, and to deepen love with others. 
Definitely. I, I think it's the global work, right? It's not even just the personal. Cause I think if we frame it from that way, like all categorized mental illness, right? Like anxiety, anxiety serves for safety too, right? You are preoccupied with thinking about all the things that could happen and go wrong to keep you safe. And so it's like, if we think about it, every terrible thing we do in our brain, every emotional reaction we're having is trying to serve a purpose, right? Like specifically to coming from a trauma background where this is the work that I'm really passionate about. There's like hypervigilance, there's like a hypersensitivity and safety becomes the number one priority. So then you can justify everything you're doing for the sake of safety. But I think the real uh, turning to that we need to do is recognizing, okay, when we do that, are we creating connection? Are we creating, because connection is safety, right? At the end of the day, the true connection we have, uh, intimacy, and I'm not saying sexual, just intimacy with the world, people, our lives, ourselves, that's safety. That's where we all, I think we all have this fundamental need to just feel that, to feel alive. Um, and that's bigger than any other type of safety, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very well said. And that hits home. Um, maybe you can relate as, as somebody who can resonate a lot with the type eight on the Enneagram is like, okay, well, vulnerability is scary. Mm -hmm takes a lifetime to understand that connection is safety and so you just drop you just drop that bomb on me mm -hmm. <laughs> of like reminding me connection is safety because uh if we go back ten thousand years we had to be connected in order to be safe because our threats to our safety were so much more dire definitely yeah and it's it is like a hard thing for the brain, especially because I would say most people have experienced some disturbance in where connection no longer felt safe, right? Where one connection, either, either that's a parent or a friend or a partner, has hurt them, or they've been hurt by this connection. And so the brain quickly will do that, like, oh, this isn't safe anymore, right? And we'll just clump again narrative work, we'll just clump all these things in there, and we'll forget prior to that injury, what was the truth, right? What is the fundamental truth? And it's fascinating, like studying biologically the impact of attachment and tra early trauma work, you know, the brain will actually override a desire for safety. So if let's say a parent is the perpetrator, that child's need for connection, this is so biologically wired in us that we need connection for safety and survival. They will override seeing the parent as a perpetrator, right? Creating that connection to them because that need is more than actually fleeing for their actual lives. In that case, the system learns to override that trauma that's responding. Um, so it is our, we are wired for connection more than anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever heard it put into that perspective before that that biological response will override um, even especially when it's in a close-knit family unit like that. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. it will. So when I hear the words art therapy, which is one of your passions, that's not just like painting on a canvas or no. drawing a sketch. Tell me more about um, how art therapy comes into, um, into play with your 
with your dream client, somebody with trauma, somebody with anger and control issues? Um, definitely. Art, um, art therapy is this like beautiful thing that encompasses so much. And I think often with that title, right, we imagine like you sit almost like a sip and paint with a therapist. <laughs> I can see how that's therapeutic for <laughs> I think a lot for of girls people, night out, sure. <laughs> right. And I think that is the common misconception is that it, it has to look a certain way or, you know, something I hear a lot from clients is like, well, I'm not an artist or I'm not creative or I'm, I have no talent. I don't either. Right. Like I've never been. That's actually, not true. Well, I, I paint a lot, but I've never, like, if you ask me to draw a bird, it wouldn't look very good, right? I don't have talent. You don't need talent to do it. It's just this, it's this beautiful tool that adds a third component to therapy um, that allows us to confront the unconscious material in ways sometimes that feel, again, talk about safety, safer, right? We can talk about the art instead of the trauma. We can talk about the process instead of like our own personal experiences. So sometimes that's how it serves in the therapy room. Other times it's just like creatively working with narratives and challenging that and like recreating those stories that we've created. So it can be more of like a mental art game of creativity and creatively framing things. Um, there's narrative art therapy, there's like directive art therapy that we can like specifically use a directive for an outcome that we desire the way i personally work it's more like a holistic approach i you know i bring it in when it feels applicable when it feels like it's going to benefit a client or they need that extra tool then i definitely bring it into the room or assign homework um, i think personally as an artist creativity is such a big part of my healing journey that i'm a little biased and just assume that that's the case for everyone but I just, I see it like life is creation, right? Everything is created. And if we tap into that power of creativity, um, it has the ability to turn like terrible things into beautiful things. So that's kind of, I don't know if that was too abstract of an answer, but. No, not at all. But there is a curious question that comes out of it. You said it's the third piece of the therapeutic puzzle. What are the other two? the client and the therapist. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Got it. So if somebody's having a hard time describing their emotions or their feelings or their memories, then we're almost like um, asking them to project it onto a, a third, um, maybe like a, a impartial, creative. yeah, yeah, something neutral in the room. Yeah, that could be, you know, one way that art therapy shows up, right? Like, let's say you're here, you're seeing me, you're really just like tapped into feeling, but you can't quite describe it to me. That may be one way if I feel it's clinically appropriate at the time to be like, hey, like, just like I would work with someone with like, you know, really wanting them to connect to their bodies, you know, trauma has a lot in the body. So sometimes I do a lot of mindfulness work. Art can be another avenue for that of like, Hey Dave, instead of us like trying to talk about this right now, like, can we just like try to be with this emotion? And I might give you just like, you know, charcoal or something that's going to add to that like sensation of like giving something like visceral. Maybe you're needing like a cathartic release in the moment and I can give you that through art. You know, maybe you're needing containment and I can give you that, that through art. 
So it just becomes like another containment. There's the office, there's me and you, and then there's this thing that we can do together. Um, so it looks so many different ways. I think like some of my colleagues right now, if they're listening to this, they would be like, that's not art therapy. Cause it's like, there's a textbook art therapy and then there's the big art therapy. And I will argue the big art therapy in my field forever. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for explaining that. That gives me a better, excuse the pun, a better picture of what <laughs> your day-to-day -day is like. But uh, what we uncovered, what we discovered is when we were chatting and getting to know each other is that you didn't always resonate with your Enneagram type, the seven, mm -hmm. but you leaned a lot towards the eight. Uh, tell me why. Yeah, I think I was sharing a little bit about personally having gone through trauma also like what you said right like that need for control and safety with the enneagram eight like it's a big one um i think i was i was an eight like i think when i did the test at first i was an eight and then for the last five to seven years i've been consistently a seven um i think it was just letting go of these parts of me that i think have I wouldn't say are healed. I think we're always on a healing journey, but as I heal, my more authentic self is getting to show up, right? Like I think it really, you know, this being a relationship podcast, relationships is like the big healing work for me. Back to that connection of safety, I had to challenge that narrative within myself due to my own personal life and what was given to me. Um, and it's been a hell of a journey to challenge. That narrative is like tattooed on my arm and I have to remember that it's different. And I have mm -hmm. to like constantly do that work to return to my true self that is trusting and is more like eager for that connection versus eager to like defend myself and um, keep myself in this like kind of powerful place right and i put that in quotations because it felt powerful to feel safe and in control but it doesn't anymore mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah a big part of feeling even deeper into that new narrative that you're creating for yourself is letting go i can relate to that a lot yes definitely i feel like letting go has been like my personal works model <laughs> Same here. Let go, let God yeah. is a mantra that. I, so, did you mean literally tattooed on your arm or figuratively no, tattooed figuratively. on your arm? I feel like just trauma, like said, connection is not safe. And it, like, it's a reminder every day that, like, my nervous system tries to tell me, right? Like, connection's not safe. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I have to override that and be like, no, it's what I want. I'm going to show up and I'm just going to leap. So, <laughs> yeah, sounds risky. Yeah, it is. Worth it. It is worth it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, the, the language that you're using with that previous narrative um, that we all have work to do around it, you know, and that is the important work so that the relationship creates a structure for growth. Definitely. Because if we keep bringing back in that past narrative, then the, the opportunity or the structure becomes so much smaller. Mm -hmm. And then we have this tunnel vision on what connection is supposed to look like. Definitely. Yeah. As you're speaking, like me being the loopy artist that I am, I'm just like envisioning like a metaphor of gardening too, right? Like you could have this like 
perfect little glass jar that you're growing this little succulent in and it's so safe and protected and it has everything but it's like how much hardier they grow on soil outside and having the elements and having all of that right like relationships i think this we kind of touched into too when we were chatting before on like I think especially with trauma, you go in expecting this partner to be that perfect glass container that's just gonna give you all the safety in the world. And like, you have this narrative that you need that in order to be able to heal, right? And I think I love challenging my clients on the opposite of like, you heal and you create that within your element. Like you don't, it's not the perfect partners, those don't exist. I do think there are abusive partners and that's a difference of discernment that people do need to be aware of. But there's gonna be repair and rupture, there's gonna be rupture and repair, there's gonna be like pain within safe love too. And how you grow through that and how you keep choosing connection through those moments, that's super important for intimacy and continued growth and healing, so. Mm -hmm. So to clarify, we're not necessarily just talking about like what our expectations are of this person that we just met to be our partner. We're not talking about only what we project onto them that we believe to be true, but we're also bringing in that past narrative of the container analogy mm -hmm. of like, okay, we have our expectations and our projections and we have this <laughs> this past narrative that gives us oh well, if they don't if they don't create this safe container for me i'm out mm -hmm. yeah let's expand on that because i'm yeah. curious because <laughs> it sounded like it sounded uncomfortable to me you know <laughs> i'm like squirming in my chair over here i'm like wait a second what are we talking about here let's let's learn more wait now i'm turning this around why what's the discomfort that's coming up um maybe because along my healing journey i'm like okay break the past narrative it's almost like that that structure of the the jar the glass jar that you're um talking about i had to literally shatter it in order for that uh, immense growth to occur out in the environment, into the nature's, um, all the things that nature is going to throw at you, wind, rain, snow, um, dirty soil. <laughs> I don't know, we could go on for the analogy, but I think that that's what made me a little bit squirmy in my chair over here. Is that you know that it's true that you have to shatter it, right? <laughs> and not bring it with you into every new relationship that you're entering into. Yes. Yeah, I think like what's beautiful to go into, and I speak to this, like I you know, love Eastern philosophy a lot. Um, so like that beginner's mind that meditation can teach us. Like we are gonna want again for that sake of safety to bring all those old narratives and like you've shattered that glass but you want to recreate a new one before you go into a new relationship like it's like such a habitual thing for us to do and it, it's almost like having to be like a child experiencing new things in the world of like this is new love new love it doesn't have that old container it won't fit into these things and what you need for safety, right? And we're talking about this surface safety again, changes over time, right? 
at one point I may have needed someone to just be super validating of me. At one point I needed someone to challenge me at one, right? Like, so that changes. So just because nature, the nature of life is so changing, we have to like, like we can't bring all the old stuff. It won't fit into the Mm -hmm. new stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Definitely. Uh, I, I like where you're going with this because if we shatter that glass or we have a beginner mentality, uh, like we're wiping the slate clean every single time we start a new relationship. I have a whiteboard. You can see it over the top of my shoulder over here. But like if I were to wipe that clean and start fresh every day, I wonder what my business would look like because that's my business uh, whiteboard back there. But let's take it to a personal level where journaling, we have a blank page Mm-hmm. starting fresh, starting new every single time that we journal. Right. And the same so, thing with meditation. I think you mentioned that. Yeah. So it, it becomes like, I think the fear and the discomfort like that you're saying you're squirming to is that it's almost like as if, speaking of letting go, it's like there's a part of us that gets uncomfortable thinking we have to let go of it all. And that's not trusting ourselves that like the foundation is solid, right? Like all of those things you've learned from life, from the hardships, from nature, you've adapted, you're already adapted, you already have those strengths, right? Like, just like a journal, you have the whole previous entries, but this is a new page. And if you're going to start writing on this page and having to like, oh, let me see what I've already written. Let me like, who journals mm-hmm. like that, right? No I don't one. reread none of yeah. it. Yeah, but you know (laughs) that you've experienced it. So a lot of the work, like I think with EMDR, what I love is getting to those root, like negative cognitions about ourselves, right? Like I would say for the most part, what I have found in most people is that there's like a lack of trusting in yourself. There's a last, there's like not feeling worthy. There's not trusting others, but like at the core people have disconnected from themselves and forget how to like trust these roots that are in us, right? Like your leaves might've fallen off in the fall, but that doesn't mean it's not going to come back. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we have to kind of recenter to that. Like if you were to erase that board, right. You, you know, all the stuff you've already built in your business. It's not like you erase it and all of a sudden you forget and you you have no tools to prepare you for what's to come. Yeah. I'm almost tempted to erase it right now to let go. Now that, now that that was very validating actually is like, okay, I have created systems in my business that, that deliver things to clients on their pace uh, at their time. And that's all the work that's been done up until now. And I could erase the whiteboard and start over fresh and say like, okay, well the marketing strategy didn't work for me. Yeah. And the journaling that we're talking about earlier, yes, I don't go back and read any of my previous entries, but when I fill up a journal book, I also don't throw it away. Yeah. And we don't throw away our past. We can't, right? We wish we Mm -hmm. could. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes. But like, imagine how much time you would waste just rereading this over and over and over and over again. We do that with our narratives, right? We do that with our past we'll like ruminate and think it over and this happened and, th- and like 
there's only one benefit to like maybe reading your journal once, right? Like revisiting it 10 years from now and being like, oh, how sweet I was when I thought like this. <laughs> <laughs> you, mean, well, <laughs> you mean sweet as in naive and innocent? Yes. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> A kind I don't know of, if I've <laughs> ever been sweet, quote unquote. <laughs> But you know, like, yeah, I'm trying to be kind because usually we'd be like, what an idiot. <laughs> but it's like not necessary, right? And I think that that's the piece like that comes with true trust and how empowering you're saying like, you know, you can erase that whiteboard and that you're still going to be okay and that your business is going to keep thriving and functioning. And that's like that trust work that I love to do with clients to get to that place where it's like, yeah, things are uncertain. Yes, you don't know what's to come. And you have this basis, you know this stuff. Like it's bringing yourself back to wholeness, right? And when we feel that wholeness, when we feel our root real deep, like no matter what comes at us, we're, we're like so trusting and it's the most beautiful way, in my opinion, to be in life. Like it's, that's intimacy, right? So it's presence. You can be present with things. Yeah, you've, you've got to let go of a lot of things that you're holding on to in order to get there. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a lot of work. It's, it's hard work, but it's simple work. <laughs> simple in what way? Simple that it's like when we realize it's just letting go, like it literally is just like letting go. That's a simple task, right? But it's so difficult to do. So I mean by simple, it's not this complex like, neurobiological approach that we have to change our whole lives to it's like a very simple just like change in our perspective mm -hmm. and I, I like that you uh phrased it in that way because let's just say somebody's new to the enneagram mm -hmm. and like yourself you tested as an eight for years mm -hmm. and then over the last six or seven years you've tested as seven so it sounds like it's very fluid for you and people new to the assessment or new to personal growth work are like, well, how do I let go of a perceived mask that we wear, a perceived persona, this box that we were put in by the Myers-Briggs or by the Enneagram or whatever, but understanding that you've grown from one belief, one narrative that you were an eight, the challenger for years into this blossoming succulent as the seven, mm -hmm. <laughs> who is eager. I think I'm using your words, eager to see what's next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and that eagerness should allow me to become anything else, right? Like, because I think this box that like Myers-Briggs can put you in Enneagram, we, in a way, humans are so uncomfortable by uncertainty we get attached to personality traits. We get attached to defining ourselves in a certain way. And I think in the psychology field that like shows up in these personality testings, right? Like this pride to be a number, to, to be a series of letters. And it's like, great, that can frame right now what's important at this uh -huh. moment. But if we attach, then again, we are prohibiting growth. We are yeah. prohibiting fluidity to come into our lives. Like, I have been so many different people because I've had to, right? We, our personalities are adaptations to the moments. Um, just like some people, you know, who identify as chameleons and they change within groups. Like we also change. There are constants in us, right? And I think this becomes a little bit more 
where I bring spirituality into either my practice with my clients or with myself of like, you have a foundation that is unchangeable, that is at your core. And then behaviors, personalities, these traits, emotions, these are all things that change and come and go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we want to attach. We want that certainty, right? Yeah. Yeah, no better. I've, I've not heard it stated in a better way. And I'm chuckling over here because the last time that we talked, you challenged me <laughs> on like, Okay, so a, an Enneagram 7 will say yes to everything so they don't miss out. Mm-hmm. And so that they say yes to every invitation so that they can be loved. Mm-hmm. And you asked me, what does an 8 do for love? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's been, what, 10 days, 14 days or something like that since you asked me that question. And I just now faced it today before we were scheduled to chat because... Because you were scared then, I was going to quiz you? <laughs> no, actually, the, the fear came from being vulnerable with myself. Huh. The fear came from looking at that shadow that, uh, that we are so, so much seeking that certainty mm-hmm. that your question for me was outside of that certainty. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'd convinced myself of like, no, this is who I am at my core and I didn't want to look at what other possibilities were out there. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, I was refreshing and I was relearning and, and I was reminding myself through the type description. And that's something that I encourage everyone to do often mm-hmm. is to check in with where you're at today versus where you were at, say, three and a half years ago when I first found the test. And the, the same narrative is, is there. I love so that I don't get hurt Mm. or I love in a way that I don't get hurt, which is probably more specific and more accurate. So guarded way. Yeah, completely guarded. Um, But I'm trying to change my narrative in the current experience that I have because I shattered that glass jar that I thought love was supposed to be like. Mm Mm-hmm. And so moving forward, I don't necessarily need to do daily assessments or daily check-ins with the Enneagram or daily check-ins with uh, attachment theory, which Mm -hmm. is my next favorite thing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Starting to sound like a seven. (laughs) Oh, I've got lots of favorites, but Mm -hmm. the difference here is is that Mm -hmm. I I am so intense about my favorites. Mm -hmm. And we both have boundless energy. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like endless, almost endless until letting go comes from pure exhaustion. <laughs> yes. For both true. of us. I, I think that it's just like when you told me that the first time we talked, it was just like, wow, that's like, that's me to a T. Yeah. I just crash. <laughs> you know, I don't nap very often, but yesterday after brunch with my dad, I just crashed. It might've been the biscuit from Denver Biscuit Company, but or relating to the past with dad. <laughs> you know, now that I now that you mention it, I wasn't so sure I was going to bring this up, but my old narrative was telling me over and over and over again that there wasn't a whole lot of empathy in my house growing up. Mm. And yesterday at brunch, it's definitely a purpose in my life is to uncover what empathy means to me and how how I want that to be the experience in my life right now. So even with that narrative in my 
in my past, no longer being my narrative now, I still showed up with empathy. And my dad is supposed to have knee surgery soon. And he's telling me a story about a sleep test that he has to take and the things that are put on his nose and face while he's trying to sleep. And I was able to relate with empathy. Mm -hmm. And later on in the conversation, he empathized with me. Mm-hmm. And it and it almost like solidified in my mind-body connection, like just this awareness in the moment of like, Dave, you're absolutely correct. The narrative that you had in your mind that your childhood was without empathy is untrue. Mm-hmm. Because he's 72 years old. Yeah. <laughs> living his authentic existence. Yes. Not exhausted from work. And now shows up at brunch with me in a different way than I had as a picture in my mind. Yeah. And I think in that, what you just shared, like what's coming up for me as, especially as you're saying, like, this is untrue, right? That this was untrue. I think that can be tricky because we could get hard on ourselves, right? On when we do challenge to move forward from narratives, we, again, we want certainty. So to believe in another narrative, we have to make one untrue. Mm. that's the desire for certainty still right like i always say and this instead of or right like that can't be true and this that was true in your experience as a kid that's what you felt that's what you experienced and (laughs) it's it's not all of the truth and there's more camera angles where we can look at that and fully understand and then we can let go of that past does that make sense? <laughs> it does. And in, in what I think you're referring to is more of like dialectic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of saying, but I'm saying, and. Yeah. Yes. It's true. And it's your, you also had empathy, right? Yeah. And I think there now, are many truths, right? Absolutely. And I think now as an adult, like you can experience too, this is another beautiful thing that like as a creator, I love this idea that like we create what we want as well. And it shows up in relationship, right? Like you empathize and you receive that right back. And like we, speaking of like, especially intimate relationships, like we can become guarded. Our partners are going to become guarded too, right? Like we are symbiotic with others. We are literally, we have mirror neurons that are just like connected. We have all these connective things. So sometimes what we don't want, we're starting to do and we're getting that right back, right? Mm. So it's like, Take it back to the garden metaphor, like look at gardens that are just beautiful and thriving off each other. They're like growing over each other and organic and just like, they're they're boundless, right? They're not like curated little structures. They're like one is feeding nitrogen to the other and helping this grow. So it's like the more we can allow organic flow and change and again, trusting the system within ourselves. I feel like it's just such a beautiful way to grow and heal. Like you had that moment of letting go and just showing up in a way that you want to show up because that's what's true to you today. And sorry if you could hear my dogs barking. <laughs> could not hear them at all. That's, that's quite all right. Um, you know, living closer to downtown, we get ambient noise all the time in the background. I think I was listening to today's 
episode aired and I'm like, where did the fire truck come from? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, there you go. You just touched into what I just said, right? Like as a kid, you didn't perceive the empathy. <laughs> now you can <laughs> perceive it. Like there's so many perceptions that go on unseen and unrecognized mm-hmm. within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, uh, as I was going back through the optimal levels of health for the challenger, when we go to a growth point, we become more like the two, a healthy version of the helper personality type. And one of their unique gifts in the world is to sense and anticipate others' needs mm-hmm. without having the verbal language to be necessary in order to do that. Mm-hmm. So I take that as a as a great moment of gratitude in my life and my relating to my parents, who I don't see as often anymore because they don't live so close anymore. Um, but listening to those words and perceiving intuitively mm-hmm. in this gut instinct that, okay, this is a very appropriate opportunity to connect through empathy. Yes. I'm glad you're bra- Like, I know we're getting close to ending here, but um, gut, right? That's another big topic of letting go is a lot of that as I'm speaking to like, I think fundamentally the more we can connect to our root and ourselves, I think gut becomes the foundation of where that trust really helps us let go, shatter those glasses, erase that whiteboard, let go of the Enneagram 8, right? Like it takes really having that deep gut connection um, to really know like where you know there's a solid place where you're going to be steered from. Mm-hmm. No matter what, what weather comes at you, you're going to be solid in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that a lot. Having, having two short-term, they weren't relationships, but more short-term dating experiences where my gut instinct was lit up in the moment of like, not alarm bells, not like my mind is taking over and saying safety, safety, safety. It was more that gut instinct of like, why am I feeling a need to be assertive right now? Mm-hmm. And that's uh, what my coach refers to as clean anger. Mm. Clean anger is heart centered, mm-hmm. but our gut is the communication tool. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're not taking it away from the brain, but we are definitely taking over for the brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus just letting the brain shoot up all the million projections, defenses. And connecting all the dots and making, making truths that are like, oh, all these possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. I love one of my favorite things. And again, this comes from being Latin American. Sometimes if a client is like spinning off, right? I literally say the word, like you're in a telenovela, like you've already just created this whole thing that isn't even true. Like what is happening, right? Like we have to like, so like I'll even act and people may think my therapies, <laughs> I'm just very real. I'm a human. So I show up how I show up, but um, I'll even act and I'll just be like, ah, Dios mio, like in the moment, right? <laughs> because sometimes we need to like remember how, ridiculous we sound to ourselves and i think that is another beauty of like doing coaching or therapy is like we have that opportunity to be heard in -hmm. these narratives and hopefully you're seeing a therapist who's like listening intently enough to realize these aren't the things that are serving you right 
like I think when I frame mental illness, because a lot of people, you know, like have been given diagnosis when they come to me and they like, again, have this known, I suffer from major depressive disorder or PTSD. I think about it again, if we use it, like at one point, those things served you for safety. And when we, when you held on to that thing to go over, over the necessary amount of time you needed it, right? Like anxiety, if I'm being chased by a tiger right now, that's going to help me. It's going to help me keep, keep me safe and alive. But then if I hold on to that same mechanism to like go to work and go to the grocery store, that's starting to hurt me, right? So narratives, identities, personalities, they serve us, but for the moment, for that time. And then if we hold on viciously to everything, it becomes mental illness. It becomes dysfunction it becomes guardedness it prohibits those things to come back into your life so very well said very well said so if your message resonates with people today what is the best way for them to get a hold of you um so they can go on my website my uh private practice is fresh start therapy but my website is fresh start art therapy.com <laughs> Um, if you want to see my art and how I process my feelings, you can check out my Instagram. Um, I think it's at G D O S art. And that's all my last names. <laughs> <That's where laughs> Got it. Oliveira Santos art. <laughs> um, and yeah, just, you can connect those ways and get in touch and I'm working on a book, but that is a long-term project. So I won't even mention that yet because then sure. I'll, I'll make me accountable to write it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. And as soon as you finish it, uh, I'll put it in the show notes below. So there's another bit of accountability that the challenger is giving to you right now. I accept it. <laughs> <laughs> Accepted. As well as um, I heard you, you're going to be part of an art exhibit coming up for yes. a good cause. Yes, this is a great show um, at the BMOCO, which is the Boulder Museum of Contemporary Art. Um, it is January 28th, I believe, 2021. There's going to be a lot of different artists. It is a reflection of 2020. So all of us have been asked to reflect on the pandemic, um, everything happening politically right now. So it's going to be a beautiful art show where I think it's going to be really raw, really powerful, some strong emotions. Um, so yeah, keep, out, keep a lookout for that. And as soon as I get some promotion from the museum, I'll send it your way as well. So you can spread Thank you the very word. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, reflection of anger in the art. Yes. Uh, yeah, actually my specifically, I don't know what other artists, um, I think there's about six of us, but I'm working with the theme of fire. Um, and that's kind of always aligned with anger, right? That destruction versus regenerative way we use fire. So mm -hmm. yeah, we could probably look at before and before, during and after pictures of like the Storm King fire. Mm -hmm. You know, that was in the late 90s um, here in Colorado and see the impact both negative and positively that came from that fire. Yep. Yeah. And then so, 10 years down the road, we can look at the four major fires that are going on in Colorado this year. Yeah. And we can look at 2020 someday and see that it wasn't all that bad. And all this, like talking about shadow, right? The shadow of a year has hopefully some gifts for us all. So. Very true. Very true. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with today? Something we touched on briefly or didn't quite get to? That's all. Just shattered those glasses. <laughs>
be willing to grow outside in the elements. I will take that on as a personal challenge. Thank you, yeah, Paula. Erase that board. <laughs> I don't know if I can let go. <laughs> you just got tense right there. <laughs> I know. So I'm going to give you a little clue here on YouTube, guys. So this is my whiteboard, but I'm only showing you my personal uh, third of, this is my personal goal right here. So I have the title self-led. And then underneath, it's cupped hands versus clenched fist. And that has to do with uh, attachment theory mm -hmm. and uh, kind of like a give to get in a nice guy syndrome kind of a um, overarching goal. Uh, I want to make my life a top priority. So to be self-led and then refer back to my fitness business. Uh, communicate with my daughter weekly and have lunch with her every other weekend because she's a freshman in college now. And then finally, stay humble and ask curious questions. Uh, so that is something that I don't know if I want to let go of. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you let go, still be in you. So always remember that. <laughs> yeah, these might be my foundational bedrock threads of values that I don't let go of, whether they're erased or not. Yeah, that's your core. Well, thank you again, Paula. It's been a pleasure to chat so with you. So good to see you. Take care, Dave. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.